Welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast, where we celebrate the craft of poetry. Each week, we feature interviews with incredible poets and artists, including Olivia Gatwood and A.E. Stallings, and original poetry read by the authors. I'm your host, James Moorhead, poet laureate of Dublin, California, and author of Canvas and Portraits of Red and Gray. Sean Singer is the author of Discography, Yale University Press 2002, winner of the Yale Series of Younger Poets Prize, selected by W.S. Merwin and the Norman Farber First Book Award from the Poetry Society of America, Honey and Smoke, Eyewear Publishing 2015, and most recently, Today in the Taxi, Tupelo Press 2022. He runs a manuscript consultation service at seansingerpoetry.com. Sean, welcome to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. Thank you so much. Really excited to have you here. So before I ask about your upcoming book, I have to share, I loved every page. I found myself getting into flow as I was reading and almost finished your book in one sitting. How did you approach ordering the poems and were you consciously trying to sustain the momentum of the book? Um, the ordering of the poems is is not very straightforward. I think, um, be, I mean, they're not chronological and they're not, um, they're a little bit, create the sensation of something that's fragmented, but has repeated elements or um, constants, um, such as the phrase today in the taxi, the form, and then the various kind of characters that reappear. So I think they sort of start off um, almost more narrative and become more lyrical as it continues to the end. Um, uh, where it's almost like less physically connected to the street or the car, where it's a little more uh, porous and a little more um, uh, not, I guess, abstract. And um, and then each section has the same number of poems, so it, it creates a kind of balance. Yeah, well, that that's I I could I mean I, of course those are the things that are done behind the scenes that I'm not conscious of, but I could feel that there was a there's just an, an an energy that kept it moving forward. So to make you already you brought this up in your answer there, but let's dig dive uh, dive a little deeper to make the book more than a series of anecdotes from your years as a taxi driver. You include the voices and characters of Kafka, jazz musician Charles Mingus, and the Lord as a female voice. You describe them as an ethical GPS for the reader, how did you choose these voices to complement and help expand your experiences? Um, they're kind of like a bridge between the immediacy of the experience and the sort of internal state or the inward state of the driver. Um, that they're kind of reference points or, or um, portals to more um you know parables or philosophies or um there's sort of like external things that the driver can then bounce off of as he's reacting to the situations because driving is full of 
dualities and contradictions, like you're sitting, but you're moving forward. You're, you're um, invisible, but you're overhearing like very intimate details of people's lives. Um, you're looking forward, but sort of responding backward, you know, all these mm -hmm. kinds of things. Um, and so those voices or those characters sort of allow allow connections um, among all those different states of being. Oh, I love that uh, the duality you just you just went through and showed multiple examples of. That's 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 beautiful and it matches the form. Um, so as you mentioned, each poem follows a common structure, a vignette introduced with today in the taxi, presented succinctly, matter of fact, pretty much, and then a turn. Did this approach come later, requiring you to rework earlier poems to fit the structure, or did the structure of the poems emerge early? Uh, well, I had been taking notes on just different experiences I had, and I didn't find the form. I didn't know what the form was going to be. And for me, the form is almost the uh, entire goal or the entire point, that the content is even is sort of less important for me. And um, once I decided to make them into prose poems, which is a contradiction in and of itself, um, then all of these scenarios I had been thinking about sort of came out all at once. And then, um, you know, of course I revised some, I uh, deleted some um, and made changes to some of the you know, literary fixes, I call them. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the prose poem has a long history um, of being connected to cities and talking about cities, going back to Charles Baudelaire. Um, so it was, it was a great way to, to balance the narrative aspects, the more lyrical aspects and the the physical embodied moments with the sort of thinking through of the self in relation to those uh, physical things. And, you know, I, I actually, I physically did all the things that I talk about, lifting the bags and cleaning up the messes and all these, I mean, I actually experienced and lived in my body all of those different things. So they, they, in a sense, are, the form is very important to, to contain that and to let the poems exist in an external form that readers can then find a way into. So, you know, you're making me think of a, um, a prose poem that I wrote this in, in my upcoming book, and I took several runs at it and it just wasn't working with other forms um it's it was i had something that was very structured and metered and and a rhyming pattern and okay. it just was working against the material and i threw it out and restarted and did this prose approach approach prose poem approach was that similar did you were there other forms that you tried for the first couple and it just wasn't working um not really i i just i had to think through what the right form would be. Mm -hmm. um, I I tend to think about a poem for a really long time, uh, months or even years, um, and until I can figure out what the right form is, I can't. 
I don't actually write, literally write anything. But then when I sit down to write, it all kind of comes out. That's, that's fascinating because I'm completely the opposite. I, I, I've i gotten into a habit now of because uh, I'm a night owl and so I don't drive my wife nuts. I, I'm on, on my phone on Google Docs in dark mode, just writing when Google Docs, it's impossible to do any kind of form on a phone. It's too hard. So I just write words and phrases and images and then I have this raw material and then I start figuring out that's really fascinating to hear the different approaches uh, poets take. Yeah. So, um, Many books of poetry are collections of poems written individually without a book in mind. At what point did you know you had a book in the making versus maybe a long poem or a long series of poems? And how did that influence your approach to selecting which stories to tell and which to edit out? Um, I, I happen to think that poems are exists sort of like in the atmosphere in mm. the in the environment and just it's the responsibility of the poet to have enough facility with language to sort of be attuned to when those poems occur when those moments occur and then sort of transmit or transcribe them into english from this like a wider a wider poetry language that it just exists in some kind of ether um and driving the taxi for many many hours allow you know it part it's like 90 percent boredom and 10 percent sheer terror so a lot of the times <laughs> it's very mundane and repetitive and you just have a lot of time to think and sort of brood um and when i realized that it could enough just very strange things happen. Just it was like this window into people's lives, um, like this rolling uh, therapist office or rolling confessional. Um, that I thought it might become a book, and then you know some of them like so I had some strange experiences that just I couldn't make them into. I couldn't convey the immediacy of it, there or they were too difficult to explain or um or we're just less i was just less interested in them after a while um yeah are you you uh, you know the stories you you share capture the amusements peculiarities and annoyances of everyday life yet each expands into something philosophical or profound how did you find those connections which in are really surprising and what what I think makes this book so compelling to read is there's it's almost like each poem is this little Easter egg that starts very matter of fact, mostly, and then has this profound twist. And I'm thinking as I'm reading, how did he connect these dots? Like this is just amazing. And how much time Thank that you. took to do that. So Yeah. Um well prose is for the most part um about taking things apart which is analysis whereas poetry is about bringing things together which is metaphor and poems are metaphoric but they're also metabolic meaning your breath is involved your hand is involved um and they're metamorphic meaning like the speaker changes or transforms in some way um through the act of making the poem 
and um the 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 metaphors which sort of bridge these idiosyncratic or strange or or upsetting or whatever moments um they do have um mirrors or or reflections in other aspects of of experience so um you know for example uh, this poem where the woman leaves her baby in the car and then uh goes into the building mm-hmm. for you know and i didn't know if she was going to come back or what and then i had read um in one of franz kafka's diaries that um he had read this story about a woman who who killed her nine month old and you know it just the the aspect of danger and different ideas of how to just the mindset you'd have to have to leave a a baby with a stranger mm-hmm. a, a strange man in a in a place like new york city like it just and yet on on another level it's not terrifying it's like completely mundane like she was fine with it um I, you know i had to be fine with it <laughs> yeah and so um i don't know how i found the relationships but um i guess i just think about these things almost constantly and yeah. then they sort of meld together somehow yeah so as i was reading the poems i thought of certain movies and spread throughout the book sure enough there they were night on earth taxi driver drive patterson it made me think of how drivers are in a unique position to invisibly observe in the poem invisible screen you write the inside of the cab neither public nor private is so transparent that you can look through it and see the world i thought of adorno taking on talking about beethoven's long waves of bass notes not of tension but of lingering how has writing this book and your experiences as a driver influenced your poetry overall? Um, that's interesting. Well, I think um, it's very difficult to balance conveying um, lived experience with surprising or electric language. You know, some people can do one or the other. But then when you try to do both, you know, it's almost like moving a a seesaw, like on one end, you've got communication or straight sense and on the other side, music or just um, the internal thinking, which is not always sensible or makes sense. Um, and it's, you know, poems usually can't do both. Um, so, you know, I think the prose poem, because it allows, it, it kind of enhances juxtapositions or contradictions. Um, it it was able, it was a way for me to have nonfiction like of types of observations with lyric, uh, lyric, um, or more passionate syntax. And, um, for a long time i really couldn't write anything um and yeah i think i i don't know i i don't i can't make anything up so i really need some mm-hmm. something as the source um 
and I'm also interested in the process of creativity. Um, and so I think, well, the other part is this book is much more vulnerable and straightforward and direct than I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. For example, I never wrote in the first person before. Um, and being vulnerable in that way is, is very risky. Um, so I think that was the main way that it changed my thinking about how to approach a poem. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, so your poem, the entire city stood out for its break from the structure you'd set. You wrote today in the taxi, the yellow moon was a coin and the kale florets moved serrated edges along an orange grid, a citadel on a hill spiral. No one breathed a note and a ruin rubbed a fish backbone over a texture. Even though this poem is formatted as a paragraph, you could have used in Jambent, it's arguably not a prose poem at all, was a break from the pattern at about the midpoint of your book intentional to kind of shake things up and make things a little hmm. less predictable? Or was that just an unconscious thing? Um, I can't remember my thinking of why I placed that one exactly where it is, but yeah, the the manuscript as a whole, there's sort of a, an arc um, that becomes more um, lyrical in some ways and where the Lord's voice kind of rises up a little bit. Um, and also I wanted to have enough variation within that form and still be, um, still be connected to what came before and after. And so this device of, having every poem begin with today in the taxi it's almost like this endless loop mm-hmm. where you don't know if it's the same day or a different day or or whatever which is kind of what it feels like um and i think uh, after all those years i drove on every single street and also i was somehow able to remember most of the trips like where i got them where they were going you know who they were um, but the book, I don't describe what anyone looks like. Right. Right. No, I don't, I, I wanted to present them almost as these ciphers where they're just people that have experiences that you don't know, um, who they are necessarily, which is kind of what it's like. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of, they dip, they dip in, you don't dip in, they dip in for a little slice and then they dip out yeah. and you likely never see them again. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in addition to the three books you've written, you also author a newsletter, The Sharpener, which is terrific. I recommend people check it out and offer editorial services. Share a bit more about the services you offer for aspiring authors and poets. Um. I, I sometimes describe it as psychological um, revision or, or psychological coaching through writing because so much of the risk in writing poetry is really um, being open to a part of the self that's not readily expressible or explainable. And then to be able to present it in a way that has enough air, whether it's a door or window for an outside reader who is separated in time and space 
to find a way into it to say, oh, that sounds like this person understood what it was like. Um, but that process, that long middle psychological stage between the initial impulse or the initial uh, triggering subject, Hugo called it, and the the thing that's as close to your intention or the poem in the mind, like that middle space is not understand, understood. So I try to, I don't impose my own aesthetics. I try to help the person uh, go through that, that um, the weeds of all that and the wilderness and try to best convey what they intended it to say. You know, and some, sometimes those things are literary, like um, verb tenses, say. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes they, they are actually about um, looking inward or, or looking into the psychodynamics of the thing that's being written. Um, I mean, it's not talk therapy, but it's using um, the, the skills of that to best bring the poem out and onto the page. Well, that's a perfect... Um, and I also help yeah. people with different lengths of projects like it could be just one poem or it could be a whole manuscript or yeah whatever cool well that's a perfect bridge to turning the mic over to you so i'm going to turn the mic over to you to read a couple of selections from your book anti-venom today in the taxi i got a fare from park chester to the bronx zoo she finally came out of the building put her baby in the car seat and said I forgot something upstairs. Then she left the baby in the car and went back inside for about seven or eight minutes. I couldn't believe it. I'm a safe person to leave a baby with, but she didn't know that. I was nervous. Some people live without contradiction. I remained calm, even though the situation was beyond the job description. Don Bias had a serpent's tooth affixed to the octave key of his tenor saxophone. Perhaps it helped him push into the wilderness or to ward off evil. One sunny July, Kafka says he wept over the report of the trial of Marie Abraham, who because of poverty and hunger, strangled her nine month old with a man's tie she used as a garter. Days of winter. Today in the taxi, I brought a Chinese couple, parents of a student at Columbia, from Amsterdam Avenue to JFK. The girl was crying. The mother was crying. The parents sat in silence for most of the trip. They didn't speak English, and I didn't speak Chinese. I did offer them a little package of tissues. On the other hand, the sun came out, and it warmed to 24 degrees. A driver should find a fixed object on the road, such as a sign or a tree, and when the car in front passes it, count three seconds before his own car passes it. Then add a second for each hazard, rain or darkness. The road is not unlike a little press between vessel that the car pushes along its black bloodstream. A psalm instructs that it will be as it is said. 
Love both those selections. So you uh, uh, you started talking about this earlier about how in this uh, the anti venom you you started to see these connections because you're thinking about them all the time. Uh, is there also a process of uh, of editing out connections where okay, I got three or four to choose from and and choosing the the one that is the best because uh, again I think I, I can see it now. You're you're just immersed in this book and you've got a pattern going. So you're starting like you said the poems are sitting there in the natural environment, waiting to be written down, just like the sculptor sees a block that, you know, the figure is inside the block of stone. It, the sculptor's job is just to get rid of the stone that shouldn't be there. So yeah, kind of go, we're using that specific poem, the editorial process you went through. Um, well, I think that's a good question. Well, I think, um, you know, this, the, the situation, I knew that I wanted to write about it. Um, and then I knew sort of apart from this situation that I wanted to somehow include this saxophone specialist, Don Bias, who had a serpent's tooth um, attached to his saxophone. Um, and this seemed this idea of sort of predation, danger, um, um, trust, um, and s sort of suspense was sort of embodied in that image. And so that becomes that becomes sort of the bridge between you know the actual scenario and then this thing that happened a hundred years ago with where it says where you can picture Kafka and reading this thing in the, in the newspaper. Um, and so it creates kind of a, kind of a, a, a fluidity where these different moments or these different um, ways of being kind of can, can coalesce. Um, so it's a little like, a collage in some ways where I have mm -hmm. these different images that I then have to figure out how they're going to fit together. Yeah. So did you ever need to nudge the truth a bit in the opening vignettes of each poem or did the truth of your years as a taxi driver provide more than enough raw material than you could ever fit in a book? No, not everything in there is a hundred percent exactly how it happened. Huh. That, that's terrific. Yeah. I did have I a, a, any, any of it. I, I asked that because I'm working on a poem this week where I had these, I love taking photos of street art and there was, I was in Montreal and there were uh, last year and there was just beautiful street art everywhere. But I also had this amazing photo of light going through a pool toy in Phoenix at my older daughter's house uh, reflected on a wall and it just perfectly fit the poem. So I'm right. Okay. That's now street art in Montreal and I'll just nudge the truth a little bit, but that's cool that you, uh, that you didn't have to do that. Um, in days of winter, uh, and so many of your poems in this collection. I wonder, are there moments when, as a driver, you wanted a bit more time with your passengers rather than being briefly inserted into their lives or them inserted into your life and then whisked away to the next fair? Yeah, once in a while, um, there was somebody really interesting or um, that I felt, you know, I could probably get to know this person in reality. Um, but I'm very, 
in some ways closed off, I have a lot of social anxiety. So the anonymity is somehow a comfort. So I was always, most of the time I was, I was happy that it, it was just brief. And also, you know, I'm focused on the, the, the actual task of driving mm-hmm. safely when you know, there's so many dangerous things happening constantly. Yeah. Well, Sean, I want to thank you so much for, first of all, having an opportunity to read your book, wonderful book, uh, sh- and sharing your poetry on the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast today. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Have a good day. The Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch. Subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings. <laughs>